Thank you, Cooper. I appreciate that. A little, little fast out of the starting gates tonight, but he got it. And I appreciate those working with our children. We're going to be in Acts chapter 19, if you want to turn in your Bibles, uh, please. A, a couple of quick announcements for you. Um, of course, don't forget this Sunday is, is uh, Easter as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Please be in your places uh, and be a part of that. Uh, there is no teen soul winning this week, so our soul winning opportunity will be uh, Saturday morning at 10 o'clock for those that are able to come out and to be a part of that. A week from this Saturday, on, the, on April the 15th, uh, there is a leadership conference at Central Baptist Church in Southington, Brother Townsley's church. Uh, they have been uh, holding this for many, many years. Uh, there is no charge for this. Uh, it is a day just to come and uh, just learn all different aspects about working in the ministry. It's a great place for Sunday school teachers, bus workers, altar workers, anybody that that uh, serves the Lord or wants to, to just go. There are workshops all day long. Uh, you get to pick and choose uh, the ones you'd like to go to. Uh, the main preacher of the day, there'll be a service with everybody in the auditorium to start and to close the day uh, is gonna be evangelist John Hamblin. And we've had him here several times for us. Uh, uh, information's out on the church bulletin board. Again, there's no cost for this and I would definitely encourage you uh, to go be a part of it. I plan to be there that day. And uh, so I hope that you will as well. Um, and let's see, Sunday, April the 30th, we're going to be starting uh, a discipleship class. Brother John Snow is going to be teaching that. Uh, we'll have the room announcement for you. If you are newly saved, if you are new to the church, uh, this would be an outstanding class for you to take. It's about a 10-week class, um, and it'll just help you understand the foundational truths of the Christian life. Um, maybe you've been saved and never gone through something like this. This would be a great help for you. Um, if you are a soul winner and you want to learn better on how to help your converts grow in grace, this would be a good class for you. Uh, if you have any questions about it, see Brother Snow or contact the church office. But again, that'll be starting on April the 30th. And uh, let me see. I know that there is a young adult activity that's on the 16th, am I correct? Um, and uh, there's a sign-up out there. It's going to be after the service on Sunday night here at the church. Um, and so if you are out of high school up through 35 years of age, whether you're single or married, uh, you're invited to come be a part of it. Uh, so we'll have the, the evening service, and then uh, they're going to head downstairs, and Brother uh, Carson has some things planned for you. It will be a great time uh, of fun and fellowship, and I believe there's food. Uh, we, we're Baptists. We can't get together without that. So if you have any questions on that, please see Brother Carson, uh, and he will help you with that. Did you find Acts chapter 19 yet? If we can get our map up here. Uh, I'm a guy that likes to follow with maps as I study and read through the Bible. Um, we uh, have been following Paul's missionary journeys, and he ended his second missionary journey in the city of Corinth. Uh, it was one of his longest ministries. He was there nearly two years altogether. And from there, he traveled uh, across the Aegean Sea 
and he ended up in the city of Ephesus. Uh, he wasn't there long. He went into the synagogue and he had a pretty good reception uh, when, when he was there with those folks. And uh, it, it seems like they wanted him to stay. Notice, if you would please, verse 19 of, of Acts 18. He came to Ephesus and left them there. That's Priscilla and Aquila. But he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they desired him to tarry longer with them, he consented not but bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem. So Paul had some burden that he needed to go to Jerusalem. So from Ephesus, um, he again traveled by uh, ship, and he came all the way down here to Caesarea uh, on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, from there, he went down to Jerusalem for a little while. The uh, Bible doesn't say how long he was there. And then he traveled north again to the city of Antioch. Antioch is where he and Barnabas were first sent out years prior on the first missionary journey. Great church. Uh, it is the world's first missionary sending church. Um, and he stayed there, the Bible says, for some time. Again, uh, we don't know how long it was. And then from Antioch, Paul embarks on his third and final missionary journey. Um, he left uh, Antioch, and uh, he's doing an overland route. He comes up into this region here known as Galatia to all of the churches that he started on his first journey. Then he traveled overland, and he's going to end up in the city of Ephesus. From Antioch to Ephesus is about 1,500 miles. Um, the Bible never tells us how Paul got from point A to point B unless he took a journey by sea. Uh, when it was over land, uh, we don't know if he walked a portion of it. Uh, I would think at 1,500 miles, he may have been on horseback. Uh, he may have joined a caravan and traveled in, in wagons, different things like that. Uh, either way, uh, it would have been a brutal thing. Paul was no wimp or no, he was no sissy. He was a pretty tough character. Um, and he has, uh, made that trip, uh, over to Ephesus while he was gone from Ephesus. We, uh, learned in our last study in Acts 18 verses 24 to 28, that Aquila and Priscilla, whom he had left there, met a guy named Apollos. Uh, we know the Bible says of him, he was an eloquent man. He was a good speaker. Uh, he, was, he was very gifted as an orator. We know, number two, that he was mighty in the scriptures. He knew his Bible. Remember when it's talking about the scriptures, uh, that it's talking about what we call the Old Testament of the Bible. Uh, the New Testament was just beginning to be written, uh, given by the Holy Spirit. So Apollos was mighty in the Old Testament scriptures. He'd studied them and he knew them very fervent in the things of the Lord. Uh, the Bible said in verse 25, but he had a limited understanding of things. Uh, we, we know that uh, he knew only the baptism of John or John the Baptist. So Aquila and Priscilla took Apollos aside and they uh, helped him to understand. The Bible says they expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. This guy Apollos was quite the individual. Not only was he eloquent and not only was he mighty in the scriptures and fervent 
in his spirit, he was a very teachable man. Often, oftentimes someone that well-educated and that talented uh, tends to feel like they are above uh, everybody else and they're not so easily taught. But that wasn't the case with this man, uh, Apollos. And so uh, Aquila and Priscilla taught him and helped him understand uh, everything uh, about the Lord Jesus Christ, the death, burial, resurrection, and, and all of those things. Uh, and so, man, Apollos just, he continues on, uh, goes back to the synagogue. And in verse 28, he mightily convinced the Jews and that publicly showing by the scripture that Jesus was Christ. So this is a, this is a great preacher, uh, this man named Apollos. Well, Apollos left Ephesus, and uh, the Bible says that he traveled from Ephesus, and he went back over here to the city of Corinth. That is where Paul had just left uh, sometime prior. Paul had started the church at Corinth. And uh, turn, if you would, in your Bibles. We're going to come back to Acts, or Acts 19 in a moment. Turn to 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3. This man, Apollos, uh, was going to be greatly used of the Lord. We're not sure how long he was at Corinth, but we, he know, we know that he had uh, a fruitful ministry there. Uh, the people at Corinth seemed to love him. They, they probably appreciated his knowledge, uh, his talent, and so forth. But um, they, they got a little mixed up on a few things. Look at verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 3. I, brethren, Paul is writing, I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able." For ye are yet carnal. Carnal means fleshly. They're not behaving like spiritual people. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Can I encourage every one of us to underline or highlight verse number three? We're going to read it again. For ye are yet carnal for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions are ye not carnal and walk as men when God's people can't get along and they're gossiping slandering griping and there's strife it is not because they're spiritual it is because they're exactly the opposite now, this is the church that Paul established. We studied uh, in Acts 17 and 18 as Paul went into the city of Corinth and, and how God used him there and the many people that got saved and the victories that were won. And now years later, he's writing back to those same people and he's saying, uh, you should be so much farther along than you are right now. He said, but you're not spiritual people. You might think you are but you're anything but. He goes on to say and explain it in verse four, for what one saith, I am of Paul. There were people there that loved Paul. Maybe he led them to Christ. Maybe he discipled them. He was their first pastor. And so they said, I am of Paul. And another, I am of whom? Apollos, are ye not carnal? Now, is there anything wrong with having a favorite preacher? Not necessarily. 
Um, there's, there's just not. Um, how many remember your first pastor? I do. Pastor Robert Nitz. Boy, I, I, I love, I loved him and I love his memory. I thank the Lord for him. Uh, and along the way, I've, I have met in the last 50 plus years, uh, I have met dozens and maybe hundreds of preachers, uh, that type of thing. And uh, uh, I, I get something different from each one of them. And uh, there are some that are easier for me to listen to maybe than others. There's some that maybe I identify uh, a little bit easier with others. So Paul wasn't saying you're carnal because um, you, you have a favorite preacher. He's saying you're carnal because you're dividing up into teams. We got team Paul over here and team Apollos over here. By the way, that, the devil sees that, uh, that that happens in churches all the time. And there are always people that are trying to build their own little team and so forth. Um, he said, uh, are you not carnal? He said, who then is Paul and who is Apollos? So who, who really are we? Two different individuals entirely. Apollos is this eloquent man, mighty in the scriptures, fervent in spirit, um, and, and all of that, a dynamic personality, a man, if you will, easy to listen to. And Paul, by his, his own testimony, he said, my speech and my preaching were not with enticing words of man's wisdom. Elsewhere, he makes reference that some of his critics said that his speech was contemptible. Paul might have been a little tedious to listen to. Have you read some of his writings? Paul was the master of the run-on sentence. Uh, he did not know how to put a period in there if his life depended on that uh, and so forth. Uh, Paul and, and Apollos, two uh, uh, definitely different personalities uh, and, and so on and so forth. But they loved the same Savior. They preached the same message. They, they expounded the exact same scriptures. And so he puts it out there. He said, so who then is Paul and who is Apollos? He said, look who we are, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. He said, I led some of you to Christ and Apollo, uh, Apollos led others of you to Christ. He said, it, it, it doesn't matter who's the best preacher, this, that, or the other thing. We're both ministers of Christ. He said, I have planted. I was the first one there. And Apollos came along and he watered. Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Would you understand Paul had absolutely no competition with Apollos? He wasn't intimidated by him. Rather, uh, Paul was very grateful for the ministry of Apollos. And he wanted the people at Corinth to get over their, their petty little competitiveness and all of this bickering and envying and strife and bad-mouthing and backstabbing and all the other carnal things that they were a part of uh, and so forth. Go back to the book of Acts now. So Apollos goes to Corinth and builds on the foundation that Paul laid. Are you with me okay? Look at Acts 19.1. It came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. Do you realize that uh, Paul didn't pastor at Ephesus? Not yet. He's about to. But Apollos did. Apollos is the guy that laid the foundation for the ministry 
at Ephesus. He's the one that convinced the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. He did so publicly. Uh, he, he, he mightily convinced them. So Apollos goes to Corinth from Ephesus and builds on Paul's foundation. And Paul comes into Ephesus and builds on Apollos' foundation. They were like hand in glove. Um, I, I mean, it was like a tongue in groove type thing. These, these two men uh, worked in tandem uh, with each other. There's a wonderful harmony among these servants of the Lord. And by the way, we would do very, very well to emulate uh, even today. The Bible says now, let's move on in, in chapter 19. Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied, and all the men were about 12. So we come to a, a, a little story in, uh, or an account that takes place in the city of Ephesus right after Paul uh, comes back to that city. He finds 12 men there. We're not sure where he met him. We don't know if he met these men in the synagogue um, maybe met them out on the street, but he encountered these men and he had, a, he had a conversation with them. May I remind you that when we read these accounts in the book of Acts, we are only getting snippets of the full conversation. For example, in Acts chapter 2 with Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, though it is a lengthy sermon, we know from the text that that wasn't all that Peter preached and with many other words, the Bible says he exhorted them. So we come here and please understand that the whole conversation between Paul and these 12 men uh, wasn't confined to two or three sentences. We're just getting uh, some little details there uh, of the conversation that came to pass. Um, Paul found these 12 men and as he soon discovered, they were disciples of John the Baptist. We don't know if they met John when uh, John was preaching in the land of Israel uh, uh, in, in Matthew chapter 3 and in the early chapters of Luke and John. Um, we don't know if they were converts of some of John's disciples. We have no idea how they came under the teaching of John the Baptist. Um, but uh, what we'll find out as we go through this little portion of Scripture is that they had a very limited understanding even of what John taught. As, as Paul met with them, um, apparently he's understanding these guys, these guys don't understand it all. How many have ever been out soul winning and you've asked someone the question, if you die today, do you know for sure they go to heaven? And they say yes. How many have done that? And you follow up, hopefully wisely, and say, that's, man, that's wonderful. Can I ask, what are you basing that on? How do you know for sure you're going to go to heaven someday? 
And uh, sometimes they'll give a clear-cut answer and they'll talk about the day they got saved and their understanding of the gospel. And, and it, I mean, it's clear. You know this person really got saved. They understood stand the truth. But then there are other times they've answered, yeah, I know for sure I'm going to go to heaven. Really, how do you know that? Well, you know, I have been a pretty good person, you know, or I, I was baptized as a baby or, you know, I, I go to church and I try to do my best. And as you ask them these questions, you start to, to realize they don't really know for sure they're going to go to heaven. They're not really saved. How many know what I'm talking about? Would you please assume with me here that Paul is in the same kind of a conversation with these 12 individuals? Um, he has met them. It appears that they are Jewish in background uh, and so forth. And as Paul is talking with them, uh, he's realizing something's missing. So he asks them a very key question. He says, unto them, it says to them in verse 2, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Just a simple question. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And their answer actually is rather astounding. They said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. They said, we've never even heard that there is such a thing as the Holy Ghost. Now, they're claiming in verse 3 that they're followers of John the Baptist. Okay, now let's just take for a moment if they are truly followers of John the Baptist. Keeping your place here, go back to Matthew 3. Matthew 3. This is where we read of John's ministry. In verse 1, in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, and so there's his ministry. Verse 3 talks about how he's the fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter uh, number 40. Verse 7 is his interaction with the people when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism. He said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bring forth therefore fruit, fruits meet for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Now also the axe is laid under the root of the trees. Therefore every tree with, which bringeth not, uh, bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I want you to notice verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water under repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the what? The Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor, gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John taught that the Lord Jesus was going to come and was going to baptize them with the Holy Ghost. So these 12 men that Paul has encountered, they claim to be disciples of John, and they have a very limited understanding of what even John taught. Um, they said, we have not even so much as heard as to whether there is a Holy Ghost. Now, think about this just for a moment. Even if they'd never encountered John the Baptist and they are Jewish people, should they have known that there is a Holy Ghost? How? 
the Old Testament. Go to Genesis chapter 1. We don't even have to look very far. Genesis chapter 1. Verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. Read the last part of verse 2 with me. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So in the very second verse of the Bible, the Spirit of God is mentioned. So as Paul is dealing with these people, he's understanding they don't know their Bible at all. They have zero foundation whatsoever. Somewhere along the line, they came under some type of the influence of John the Baptist, the idea that they, they needed to be baptized and, and maybe it was the idea we're going to get baptized and that'll wash away our sins. Uh, they don't even elaborate on that. Uh, all Paul knows is these guys don't understand the truth um, at all. So back in Acts chapter 19, Paul is going to take them further. Um, in verse 3, he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. So he says, Yes, John did baptize the baptism of repentance. But please understand this, turning from our sins, that's what repentance is. It's a turning away from Okay, turning away from our sins doesn't save us. You okay with that? Doesn't save us. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not going to smoke anymore. I'm not going to cuss anymore. I'm gonna, not going to lie anymore. I'm not going to gossip anymore. And, and we, we stop doing all those things. That doesn't save us. That doesn't save us. Salvation doesn't come because we stop sinning. Salvation comes because we repent of our sin and turn to Christ. And that's what Paul is saying. Yet John, truly, that's what the word verily means. He verily baptized with the baptism of repentance. But you got to understand the rest of his message is he was pointing people, telling them that they needed to believe on Jesus, uh, on Christ Jesus. Remember, Christ is his title, the Messiah, the anointed one. Um, and so Paul gives them the complete message of even John the Baptist. Um, and, and that's what it's all about is repentance from our sin and faith towards God. When they heard this in verse 5, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. These fellows got saved. These fellows realized it wasn't just that we got wet. Our baptism didn't save us. And it wasn't just we... Okay, we, we stopped doing this, that, or the other thing. That didn't save us. It was our faith in Christ. Now understand, it was more than just a one-verse sermon uh, or witness that Paul was giving, given to them. Undoubtedly, Paul is explaining the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. Uh, read the book of Romans. Paul penned that, the great doctrinal book of salvation. Uh, we can just see Paul talking with these 12 men, opening up the Hebrew scriptures to them and, and just showing them that the Christ was the fulfillment of those things, the end of which these guys are now placing their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And now they are truly baptized, um, and they are baptized in the name of Christ. So this is an unusual situation, okay? And it gets even a little more unusual in verse 6. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, this didn't happen very often. This didn't happen often. In Acts 2, when Peter preached, it just simply says, and they that gladly received his word were baptized the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. There's no evidence that Peter laid hands individually on all of these people. Um, in Acts chapter 4, 5,000 men uh, listened to the message of Peter and John at the healing of the lame man and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's no evidence anywhere in there that there was any laying on of hands. The laying on of hands was an apostolic type blessing. There was something very significant that was happening here. When these 12 men got saved, they got baptized. The Bible says that Paul laid his hands on them. And the Bible says when he did so, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied. This is the third time in the book of Acts that the speaking of tongues is mentioned. Okay, the first time was in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 on the day of Pentecost. On that day, it was the 120 people that were gathered in the upper room. They had been praying uh, for some seven to 10 days. And uh, at the end of that prayer meeting, the Holy Spirit descended uh, on that room and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, let's go back just to refresh our memories. Acts chapter 2, because there's a ton of confusion about this subject. Um, the Bible says in uh, verse 2, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I cannot read this passage anymore without remembering how my granddaughter Gwen explained the Sunday school lesson about this, that they were all praying, and all of a sudden a wind blew through the room, and they all caught on fire, and there was a ghost. And uh, that, that's how she understood uh, all of this. Uh, so they're all filled with the Holy Ghost, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, we know that these tongues they spoke with were not babblings. They weren't repeating all the Japanese words for motorcycles. They weren't blah, 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 blah. They weren't doing any of that. You say, how do you know that? Well, the Bible says so. Look, if you would, verse 5. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that, uh, because that every man heard them speak in his what? Own language. The Bible, the word tongues is used over and over again, and it refers to one of two things every time. One, it refers to this little muscle in our mouths with which we speak. The second, it refers to a language. 
And it goes on to say, and they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? So here's the first example in the Bible of individuals speaking in tongues. There was no laying on of hands. These people were already saved. These were the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are we okay on that? We're reviewing. Okay. Uh, we see a second instance uh, of this. Look, if you would, please, to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. This is where the gospel goes to Samaria. Remember, the Samaritans were half Jewish, half Gentile by nationality and race and religion. And Philip went there and preached the gospel. And that whole city of Samaria uh, turned to the Lord. Uh, verse 14, now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet it was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid, their, then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. We'll stop there. Again, this all review. So the, the leadership at, in Jerusalem heard that the Samaritans got saved. And so they sent Peter and John there to verify that this really was happening. Because remember, in the Jewish mind, the gospel was just for them at this point. They were having a hard time realizing it was for uh, God so loved the world. Um, and so they went there and uh, saw that these people had believed on Christ. And uh, here, uh, notice please... Um, uh, Peter and John prayed for these people that they might receive the Holy Ghost, and they did so. Verse 17, they laid their hands on them. Didn't happen in Acts chapter 2. Nobody laid hands on anybody. But here, Peter and John laid their hands on these new converts. They received the Holy Ghost. Doesn't say they spoke in tongues. Something visibly happened. We're thinking maybe tongues, uh, because this guy, Simon the sorcerer, saw it happen and he was intrigued by that and wanted to buy that particular power. Turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 10. In Acts 10, if you remember, this is where Cornelius, a Roman centurion, Gentile, his entire household and his servants, uh, Peter led them to Christ. And uh, look, if you would, please... Um, and I'm trying to find exactly where I want you to be. And I don't know where that's going to be. Um, what is it? Thank you. Verse 44. Um, While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on, uh, fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision, that's the Jews, which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? Would you please understand that in each case where the Holy Spirit is given, it's, it's for the benefit of Jewish people. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians that the Jews require a sign. They were always, 
in the life of Christ. Show us a sign that you're who you say we are, that you are and will believe you. And um, so the tongues were for a sign to convince the Jewish people that this was of God, that this was of God. How many remember? We're, we're backtracking and reviewing a little bit. So we're going back to Acts 19. You have these 12 men that Paul has encountered in Ephesus. They are somehow uh, disciples of John the Baptist, though we now know their understanding of the gospel was, was uh, very flimsy. Um, it, it sounds like they didn't understand it at all. Um, it, it, it appears that they're Jewish people, as the, most of the uh, followers of John the Baptist were. They've gotten saved. Paul lays hands on them. And for the final time in the book of Acts, those 12 men spoke with tongues. Knowing what we know from Acts 2, they weren't babbling. They were speaking in a known language. Um, and it was that evidence, remember they're Jewish people, that this is the truth of God. One last place that we will go to, and then we do need to stop, and we'll come back and follow up on this a little bit next week. Hebrews chapter 2. Can you tell me who the book of Hebrews was written to? Hebrews, Jewish people. Uh, I believe it was written by the Apostle Paul to prove to them uh, that Jesus was the Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament. This is a text, a book that is written to Jewish people. He says in verse 1, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we've heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and he had talked about how angels delivered the message of God and people were accountable to obey that, he said, And every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. How shall we escape? If we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing them, that's the apostles, those that heard Jesus, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. So for the Jewish people... God gave these amazing sign gifts to convince them that this message of, of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ was the truth, that it was real, that this was not some false doctrine or some teaching. It was a sign gift for the Jewish people. And in Acts chapter 19, we see that sign gift is given one last time in the book of Acts. Um, we're going to, again, revisit that Next week and follow up on it. it many uh, Bible scholars believe that those 12 men that got saved in Acts 19 may have become the elders of the church at Ephesus. They are some of Paul's first converts in the city of Ephesus. Hence the laying on of hands. That's often a symbol of ordination, of being set apart by God for specific service. Hence the sign gift 
of the Holy Ghost and the speaking with tongues. There was a confirmation being laid uh, uh, upon these 12 individuals who would later go on and we'll meet the elders in, of Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. Uh, we'll, we'll finish up with this next week. It is 8.03 and uh, our, I, I got to end. I'm three minutes late. They're probably already mad at me.